from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Money Movers, welcome back to Money Moves, the daily podcast determined to give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. Hey, Money Movers, welcome to the Money Moves podcast powered by Greenwood. Our next guest is a serial entrepreneur and inventor with over 20 years experience in technology, entrepreneurship, startups, marketing, and business development. She is the founder of five successful companies since 2001, including Flat Out of Heels 2011, Popcom 2017, and is considered to be one of the pioneers in the equity crowdfunding space. In 2019, she became the first female founder to raise over $1 million in an equity crowdfunding campaign. Money Movers, please welcome to the podcast, Dawn Dixon Apogony. Dawn, it's a pleasure to have you here. Kenya, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. I'm so excited because, you know, our, on our Money Moves podcast, we originally launched with the Money Moves Boss Women Edition. So I'm really excited for you to pick up the torch and carry it on here on iHeartRadio. So this is super, super exciting. And it's an honor to have you here today. Thank you. So first of all, Dawn, tell us a little bit about how you got started in the journey of entrepreneurship. You've done several successful companies. Let's take us back to the beginning and your first foray into starting a business. Yeah, definitely. So I think it was it was I was born with this because it was always something in me that was just like being enterprising. As a kid, it was like a hustle, selling toys, selling candy, always coming up with ways to make money. But then, you know, of course, I don't know, I'm 42. And in my family, entrepreneurship meant you didn't have a job. And it wasn't a topic. Oh it was God, always absolutely. about going to college 
go to college, get a job, get your 401k and retire. So yep. that's the path that I really followed to make my parents happy. Then I got out of college after three years, got a corporate job pretty easily, great salary, got my BMW, I always wanted. And then I was sitting there realizing that I was not fulfilled at all. And mm -hmm. I felt something calling me and something pulling me away. And I knew that I wanted to do something on my own. So while I was at my desk of Nationwide Insurance in 2001, I started working on my very first tech company called The Urban Star with one of my, with my friend who was my business partner. And as I built that business from my desk and built it at night and got the confidence after I started getting users and growing that business, I quit my corporate job after eight months wow. and I've been an entrepreneur since then. So luckily my first business was a success and it gave me the confidence to go on, but everything was not a success. Now, 21 years, uh, 20 years later, I now have started six companies, five are still in business today. And I'll really call myself a serial entrepreneur and a problem solver, a serial problem solver, because I experience problems myself. I go out looking for solutions. And when I don't find it, then I start the business. And that's, that's how I'm here today. Wow. I mean, I love that story because I do feel like entrepreneurship is a bug. And so many entrepreneurs that we talk to, you know, they look back and they go, I've always had this. I've always had this bug and I just love having people tell those stories because some people have always had it, but it's also something that can definitely be learned. Yes, I do believe that it can be learned because the thing is you have that urge to do something and you and I, I knew that I wasn't meant to be traditional work the nine to five and retire at 65, but I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't know how to be an entrepreneur. And like I said, back when I was in school, there was no entrepreneurship major. There was no Shark Tank on TV. Absolutely. And there was none of the things that are out here today to encourage people to start a business. And so I really was like feeling around in the dark for a long time until I came across really great mentors, like a friend we share in common, Angela Benton, who oh. really figure out what it means to be a CEO and what it means to run a business. But until then, we're just like filling our way through it, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I want, I mean, we have a limited amount of time and there's so much in that brain of yours that I just want to pull out, but I want you to give people sort of a rundown of some of your companies, because I think a lot of them will remember some of your businesses for sure. I know the heels vending machine was one, but just sort of take us through that trajectory of some of the companies you started. Yeah, definitely. And when I look back and tell my story, I realized that I wasn't aware, but that everything that I was doing was preparing me for where I am today. And a lot of times things don't make sense, mm -hmm. how they happen or things that don't work out or things that do work out. And then we realize and look back like, wow, it was all for my greater good. So I started my first company, like I said, from the desk at work. And it was a website that Again, this is in 2001, so the very early days of internet marketing. So we had an entertainment and event website. That really helped me to gain experience in building a business and understanding like what I was doing. And, and then I was in tech and didn't even know I was in tech right. because I was right. in Columbus, Ohio, and no one even said, hey, this is a tech company. So I, I grew that, and it led me to starting a consulting business because after I grew my business, which was a website and a very new way of communicating and selling products in the early 2000s. I built my site over 100,000 unique visits a month just from Columbus, Ohio. And many businesses at this time, they did not have websites or a web presence. And so they started to contact me saying, Dawn, can you do this for me? And I was like, well, I guess I can, but I can't do it under Urban Star because this is a entertainment site. So I started a D1 consulting group now 16 years ago to provide consulting services for marketing and business development for businesses. So I did that for now, I still have that company and we now work with crowdfunding clients, which then that led me to working wow. with many different 
businesses. And I realized that I love to start, get things started. I love to ideate. I love to get the foundation set. But I, I realized too that I need my own thing. So yeah. after consulting for six years, I started to feel like I wanted to try something different. And, I, and I'm seeing a pattern in myself that after about five years, I get kind of bored uh -huh. and I'm ready to do something else. Yep. So I was like, you know, God, give me something good. Give me a good idea. And this is in my early 30s. So I was definitely in Miami on South Beach partying in all the clubs back then. <laughs> Those were the days. I know I've seen you before. I see the kind of heels you wear. So I know <laughs> you tell me when yep. you know them heels, they have an expiration. And they usually last about 30 minutes yep. before they hurt. That's why they're called dinner shoes. You're supposed to sit down exactly. in them. Exactly. That beauty is being in the club in them. Yep. And so the idea was all these women in the club looking good, but then they that good goes to bad when I take them heels off and walk barefoot. So I said, let me, you know, let me solve this problem. Decided to sell rollable ballet flats. And I felt like vending machines was a good way to distribute products. So my business brain was just thinking of how do I get my product in the hands of the customer, the woman, when she needs it the most at that pain point? It's not going online. It's yep. not going to the store. You're in the club. Yep. So I said, wow, well, when you're thirsty, you can get a drink out of a vending machine. How come we can't buy other things in vending machines when we feel that pain point? So that led me to vending. That pain point. Then I got into the vending business and realized, oh my gosh, vending machines are dumb. They have no data. They, they, I can't grow a business using these Dorito vending machines. I have to make this more innovative. So I pulled back and reach back to my technology background from at this point 10 years ago and said, let me add some software to these vending machines so that allow them to essentially do the same things that um, Google Analytics provides and Shopify provides. So again, this is me solving my own problem. I saw my own problem because my feet hurt. I saw my own problem because I needed software. And that's just how I continue to innovate. Just two years ago, right before COVID, um, I moved back to my hometown of Columbus, Ohio. Now, living in LA and Miami, lots of vegan food options. Living in Columbus, Ohio, there was probably two restaurants. Wow. So again, I'm vegan for many years. Solved my own problem. Opened a vegan restaurant. And it's still doing well to this day. So that's just how my process goes. You know, right now I'm full-time CEO of Popcom. I'm here in our office. And it's a big undertaking. You know, so we've raised over $5 million to, to, to this date and continue to raise capital. So even though I'm a serial entrepreneur, I am focused on being CEO of this business. And then I hire and bring on teams to run the other ones. I also have a yoga studio. I have a oh my business. <laughs> I don't want to overwhelm you guys, but I think the theme of my life is solving problems and building teams, which I've found is my strength. So one of the things that I love about you, and especially as we look back in the tech, as technology has, and getting into the startup and technology world, there's been this discourse that fundraising is hard, that there's so many barriers, especially for people of color or underrepresented founders. But then what really inspires is we have women like yourself who have raised funds in multiple different ways, from bootstrapping to creating revenue generating businesses to fundraising in the traditional VC world. Um, through raising friends and family, VC rounds, et cetera. And so I want to dig into sort of your thoughts on fundraising as a black woman, and then hopefully get into some more deeper dives where you can offer us some tips in each of those areas. I would love to. And I've raised capital for all of my businesses. And what I've discovered is that all businesses don't need the same type of capital and they don't need the same timing. Everyone automatically wants to say, I'm starting a business. Let me pitch to the yeah. VC. It's not 
every business is not a good fit for venture capital. That's why of my five businesses, only two have went the VC route. The first business I started, I raised money for my father, $10,000. That's a friends and family round. Yep. We used that money. We grew our audience base. We generated revenue and we bootstrapped to revenue. We never yep. raised another dime. The company didn't fail. We decided to, to close it down. So I used friends and family, seed money, and then the sales of the, the revenue that, that grew the business. For yep. some businesses, that's good. If you want to grow a lifestyle business, which means essentially your business pays for your lifestyle. You have a good salary. You have a life. But it's not scaling to multi-millions, but it covers your life. That was a lifestyle business. And you I know really what's really funny, Dawn, because I feel like, especially as like a woman entrepreneur, I've started businesses myself, you know, oftentimes you would go into accelerator programs or different things, or you talk to different people in the VC community, whether or not you were raising money or not, and they go, oh, that's so cute. That's a lifestyle business. Yeah. And you know, it wasn't really complimentary, but you know, what would really, what really drives me crazy about that, especially for black women, especially for people who are listening in on this Money Moves podcast, BC is not the end all and end be all. It doesn't define your business and lifestyle businesses are incredibly lucrative, right? There's they are. people who, they are. Like, for me, they are. I often think that revenue is honestly the best type of money. If you have a company where customers are paying you, you're gain, gaining revenue month over month, go with it. <laughs> and like yourself, yeah. you can make multiple businesses, but cash is king. It is. It is because, you know, especially with the, what they call lifestyle business, I know several female founders that, 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 that scale their lifestyle business to 10 and 20 million in revenue. Absolutely. Investors. Absolutely. And way you still maintain your control. Now you grow slower. You may not be able to move as fast, but you still maintain control. And it, you have to think about where do you see yourself in this business? How far do you want to go and how far do you want to give up? That's yeah. always a question to ask yourself before you go asking for money. So my first business, I, I didn't know anything. First of all, I was 20 years old, so I didn't know anything. My second business was a consulting company, just all cash, never raised, never raised any, any money until I wanted to go out and get sponsorships for things, which that's when I learned how to do grants and I learned how to fundraise. Then with Flat Out of Heels, I knew I needed money to get prototypes, to get a website built, and to figure out this whole vending machine situation. So I went and raised $250,000 from friends and family. Ah. And what I did was reach out to my college network. I reached out to my previous clients that I worked with as a consultant because they saw my the way I did business. And I figured that if I could demonstrate integrity, you know, that I was a good, honest, reliable, good business person, that will benefit me and I can ask for investment. And it did work. So for flat out of heels, we bootstrapped, we raised 250K, bootstrapped for five years, and then Backstage Capital came in and invested, um, I think in 2017. So, and now we have an active crowdfunding campaign raising another 250, and I hired a CEO to run that business. So again, that business relied heavily on pitch competitions. I won $200,000 in pitch competitions, free money to keep that business going. I knew that VC wasn't the route in the early days because in 2001, or no, excuse me, 11, when I started the business, VCs didn't want anything to do with female shoes. Women's shoes? No. Female shoes, it, absolutely, it was not happening. Absolutely not. They didn't understand it. And especially um, male, it was very heavily male dominated. A lot more women and people yeah. of color in the VC space yeah. today. It changed dramatically. 10 years ago, no. So I heard all no's. So that wasn't the... I mean, and honestly, looking back, I wasn't a good candidate for VC money. I did not have a plan to 100x or 10x that, that investor money. I didn't have a plan to return that money. Yeah. So I'm glad they didn't give it to me back then because I wasn't going to be a good steward of it. And yeah. that's also very important. Um, okay, so we touched upon a couple things here. And I want to go back through and get sort of deep dive into the difference between like, 
bootstrapping, because I think people throw that term around a lot. And sometimes people don't even know what that means. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us in your definition, like, you know, you gave us an example of how you sort of bootstrap, but like, what does bootstrapping mean? Bootstrapping is literally come from the phrase, pull it up from your bootstraps. You pay for it yourself. Yeah. So friends and family, friends and family, my dad and my friends, bootstrap was me leveraging my money that I earned from my job that I was doing side hustles and consulting, and then also leveraging my personal credit, which a lot of times entrepreneurs don't think about that and we don't want to. But if it comes to a decision where it's like, let the business close or go out and get a personal loan, I'm going to go out and get a personal loan. I'm going to keep my business alive. So yeah. I've done everything from home equity lines of credit to taking out personal credit cards for my business to taking out personal loans for my business. And it was so important for me even today to keep my personal credit in good standing in case I ever need to fall back on it if something doesn't come through. So that's an important lesson for us. Oh, that's a beautiful statement. Keep your personal credit in order so that you can always rely on you if you need to bootstrap. It's a terrible feeling to be in when you can't find an investor and you can't leverage your own personal finances. It's very devastating, actually, and I've been there as well. Something else I want to highlight to this bootstrapping piece, because I think this falls into that category as well, is these free pitch competitions. And I think sometimes people overlook the value of this is free money. There's not a lot of free money out there. But if you are passionate about the business you're building and can pitch that on stage, free money. That is like the best thing you can get. That was, I mean, I remember when I won the Essence Festival pitch competition, we had no money in the bank. I got on that stage and I said, this, my whole business depends on me winning this. If I don't win this, we're done. And I won $25,000 and brought my business back to life. And, you know, that was free money. And that's happened multiple times. And it also comes with just, you know, walking on faith, which is really an important part of the journey. But then just having that confidence, you know, just getting up there and just showing that you know your numbers. If you know your numbers and you know your business and you can tell investors how you're going to return their money, that's what they want to hear. A lot of founders get on stage and tell stories and want to talk about their life and you know, their hardships. Investors don't care at all. Yeah. They hear the numbers. Show you the numbers. numbers. Yeah, yes. absolutely. I, was, I think I think a lot of people think that if they're just show that they're, oh, you need to be passionate. But, you know, I often tell people fundraising and getting VC money, and I know we're talking about bootstrapping and stuff, it's not philanthropy. Not it's a, they're looking for a 10x return. Like yeah. it is an investment for a reason. It is not investor's job to be your friend or to do you a favor. They are in it to make money and you have to create a mutually beneficial situation for you to make money and for them to make money, be able to clearly demonstrate that to them. It's a, it's like a marriage, you know, as you know, I know you're very familiar yeah. with the space and people don't really think deeply as to what it means by taking an investor. You're taking a person in that you're closer with and sometimes your family members. Yeah, absolutely. Don, another thing I think that is really interesting is you've been in this game for like over two decades now, technology has enabled us to bootstrap in so many different ways. You think back to when you were the first person out there building websites. Now people can build websites for cheap online. There's social media products like Canva. What are some of the tools that you've used that really help accelerate your business for cheap? You know what? I love that question because when I first started 20 years ago in tech, none of these things existed. I mean, and how much was it to build a website 20 years ago? It was like a hundred. We had to hand code everything. There was no template. There's no Wix. 
There is no any type of template you can get. You know, right now you can go on GoDaddy, buy a website, get a whole template, get your email, turnkey, get everything. Bootstrapping. We had to literally hand code. I went to school for, for coding. So we actually built that website line by line in code. And that's what it took. So today there's so many resources. I love, I love Canva. Like, I mean, it turned everybody into a graphic designer, first of all. Yes. It yes. saves so much money. I love tools like Bench for accounting and Gusto for human resource management. I love things like Slack for communication and Asana for project management. I mean, I come from a time where we're working off of spreadsheets documents and regular email even i mean i started sending email blasts by bccing email addresses in aol and there's a yes. limit of 250 per email so i took five hours every friday to send emails now we have mailchimp and uh, all kinds of customers yes. relationship management software so i think automation is key in making your entrepreneurship journey go smoothly and that's why i really also double down on automation in my company here popcom for automating retail. I feel like automation is the future of everything. Mm -hmm. Those of us who are in uh, resistance to allowing technology to do things will get left behind. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I will just also admit I'm 42 too. So I feel like we've seen the whole gamut of like, we had dial up, we had internet, we yes. had barely got our first email addresses. And so when people are like, yeah, when people understand, and I was like, there are so many ways out there to make your business successful and accelerate its growth. Like, I really want people to be intentional about finding those tools to grow a business from, you know, also, zero. I want to share one more tool now we're talking yeah. about investing. I really rely on a couple of different websites to source investors like AngelList, F6S. I also use Gust and I also rely a lot on PitchBook and Crunchbase to research investors. But when I first started, there was no online investor resources. You can go on FSX and just type in anywhere in the world and find pitch competitions, accelerators, incubators, yep. programs, no longer have to go and just ask around and find out. Oh, so yeah. there's, just, there's, there's really no excuse today. That's yep. what I say. So they want, everyone wants me to say like, it's hard because I'm a black woman. And I think definitely the system was not built for people of color at all. It was made in Silicon Valley. We know that it was made for this group of people and that's what they were doing. However, the people like Angela Benton and like several others have really opened those doors for us. And I don't think we can use black as an excuse anymore. No. There's enough high net worth black people that we can fund our own businesses, which is why I chose to do crowdfunding to demonstrate the power of group economics, demonstrate the power of the black dollar to do more than be hyper consumers, to demonstrate the, the, the power that we have when we, when we come together. And so I just really think that things have changed, you know, things have changed and there's so many more black VCs, black led funds, initiatives that break those barriers. So we just can't use that as an excuse. And for me, I've raised his money successfully. So even though it may have been harder, I still did it. And you know, too, Tanya, everything is hard. Everything nothing is hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it. I mean, nothing is easy. and here's the thing. I, I love that you bring that up because it's certainly some a little bit of the unpopular opinion because I think people really want to hear it's so hard, you know, the ceiling is so built against us. And yes, it is, we can't deny that. But I also think that, you know, we've gone through with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. There is so much money out there for black people that has been earmarked for us and it's up to us to go and get it. And so sharing tips on how to do it, how to show up for a pitch, how to invest to an investor, because oftentimes the problem is we don't know what to do. We don't, we haven't studied the people that came before us 
who have done it successfully. You know, when you or Angela Benton walk into a room, your pitches are impeccable. You know, you speak the language that says, give me money. And I think this is what people need to understand and study so that we can like win. <laughs> I agree. And, and the way that I did that, because I started out in Columbus, Ohio, I didn't have the network Silicon Valley. I didn't go to Ivy League. Yep. I literally went to every single conference possible and I networked. I sat in the front of the room. I asked the question. I made sure they seen my face and I stayed afterwards and I asked the question. I made sure to connect. I waited as long as possible. Write this down, you people. Money movers, write, write it down. I started in the seats. You know, what I also did was I networked with people next to me because we sometimes forget people in the seats next to you, they are a valuable resource as well. So I've had a lot of peer mentorship along the way where we guide each other. We learn, we make investor introductions. We tell each other what went right, what went wrong. We can't always rely on the, the people that are the experts to, to help us. Yeah. And so a lot of us get upset and say, well, I don't know how to meet the Angela's or I can't get a time with Dawn's calendar. But somebody sitting right next to you that's done what you want to do. Talk to them. Find the information wherever possible. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if... no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, yeah. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. And I love that you say that you're like, I went to all the conferences. I sat there. I sat in the front and put up my hand. You know what? There's something to be said for being the black face in the room because people actually remember that. And then when you show up at the next conference, they're like, oh, I know you now. That's how that happens. Sometimes that doesn't happen and we're the invisible face. But, you know, the times when people remember you and your question is memorable, that's a connection. And, And, you know... I feel like fundraising and networking is about building relationship. It's never yeah. on the first time you exchange cards. No, you no. a card, but the next time you see someone, the next time you see someone. Yes. And also, this point to like, who are the people beside you? You've been in the game for 20 years. That person that you met beside you 20 years ago is here now. And so we are. They're the fund managers now. The people in the seats next to me are running the funds now. They've exited. They sold companies to Amazon. They invested in me. Yeah. What if yeah. I would have felt like I was too good to talk to them? Because- they're sitting next to me. No, Absolutely. I understood the value of that. You never know where someone's going to be. It was instilled in me at a very early age to treat everyone with equal respect. That that same person that you look down on could be the person that's going to be writing your check. Absolutely. So always having that respect for, for everyone is so important. So Don, it was a pleasure having you here today, but I'd be remiss if you didn't tell us where people can find you on social media. They can find me on all social media under Don Dixon, D-I-C-K-S-O-N. I'm very active on Medium. So if you're curious about crowdfunding, the steps for crowdfunding, if you want to know my whole journey, it's free. All the free game is on my Medium page. If you want me to coach you, I have a fundraising masterclass on Superpeer, and that is live now. So you can go on my website, dondixon.me and find all the things that I offer as far as coaching, one-on-ones and different programs where you can find me. You can also find me on LinkedIn and I'm very, very engaged there. So if you have any questions for me, please message me on LinkedIn. Oh my gosh, it was such a pleasure, Dawn. And I hope to see you back again, wishing you all the best, all the best. And we will definitely keep our eyes focused on your rounds to come. So congratulations on all your success and keep going, girl. We're proud of you. Thanks, Tanya. Thank you. All right, Money Movers, that is all the time we have for today. Make sure to tune in Monday through Friday and subscribe to the Money Moves podcast powered by Greenwood so that you too can have the keys to the financial freedom you so rightly deserve. Thanks, Money Movers, and see you again next time. Thank you so much for tuning in, Money Moves audience. If you want more or a recap of this episode, please go to thebankgreenwood.com and check out the Money Moves podcast blog. Money Moves is an iHeartRadio podcast powered by Greenwood, executive produced by Sunwise Media Inc. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.